Welcome to This Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Reverend Dr. Ambrose Carroll Sr. And uh, first of all, how are you doing? It's a great day, Josh. It's a great day. Glad to hear. I'm going to read a bio from you so that people know who you are. You are the founder and CEO of Green the Church. And uh, I met you, you were introduced to me by a past guest, Scott Hardinieri. So I guess you guys have worked together in some ways. Yeah. All right. So you are one of the nation's premier practical theologians. I'm curious. Oh, I'll have to ask what practical means in that context. He combines theology with ecology and challenges the church universal to embrace its mantle of creation care. Dr. Carroll is founder and CEO of Green the Church, a national sustainability initiative working to create a cadre of black church communities committed to green theology, sustainable practices, and building power for economic and political change. So you're the senior pastor of the church by the side of the road in Berkeley and oversees the Home and Foreign Mission District Association serving the churches. So you do a lot of community stuff too, locally. Yeah. Let's get to that if we can, but I'm, I mean, I really want to talk about Green the Church and how so many people say to me, environmentalism, there's a lot of white people there. And a lot of people say the church, they're messing everything up. And you're right in the middle, of, you're, you're on the other side of both of those things and you're right in it. So I think some people don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm curious what you're doing. Yeah, no, excellent question. And I, and I get it all the time from a lot of different places. I would say, you know, within faith communities around the country, a lot of faith communities are are engaged. And of course, when you say the church, it's never one thing. It's a multiplicity of communities and things of that nature. For us in the African-American community, I came into the work through an organization called Green for All, where I learned about environmentalism and sustainability and those types of things. And it was an organization focused on inner city, urban, and rural people of color from all around the country. But there were not a lot of of people who were part of Western religions. And so I was one of the few pastors kind of in this cohort of about 300 individuals. And then a few months later, I discovered that there was an organization called Interfaith Power and Light, uh, ran by an Episcopalian priest by the name of Sally Bingham. And I met her in Denver, Colorado, and I was like, okay, I found my tribe, and I found an organization that was working on environmental, sustainability issues, climate change issues, and it was people of faith, but not a lot of people of color. And so we decided that we had to bring those two worlds together and wake up the sleeping giant that is the African-American church uh, so that we're really in the midst of this piece. So again, I do know that faith has been a powerful tool and a lot of times throughout history has been used to co-sign a lot of things that humanity has done and we kind of sign God's name to it. But again, you know, when I look at things like the city of God, which shows that in every healthy community, uh, there has to be a place of economic understanding. There has to be a political side in terms of how we associate communities. And then there has to be a faith component. There has to be a component that holds up the ethics of things. And so that's what, what we do as people of faith. And that's what we're trying to do in this space is to always have the voice of, of ethics. I'm curious. I was reading an article about you guys in 2016. You're at 400 churches in 28 states. And I feel like you've been growing a lot since then. And it looks very active. I mean, there's a lot of... How many people are involved? How many churches are involved? How many states are involved? So we, we probably have like 
100 congregations that have been a part of our gathering. So every year we do a Green the Church Summit in different states. And all we've done so far is to register how many congregations have come in and been a part of that. For us, um, our model, we are more like a newspaper, right? Or we are more uh, like a place of information than we are or have been like an active membership piece. What we do is we tell stories where African-American congregations are participating in the environmental movement and sustainability issues are with climate change. And so we spend a lot of times as storytellers, really bringing those stories together so that, you know, there are people participating in their own states and their own ways, doing gardening and stuff like that. Green the church comes in and tells a story so that we can, can catalyze and have other people to come in as well and to be, be a part of that. And that could be, you know, anything from, food sovereignty, to renewable energy, to building efficiency. You know, our three pillars center around amplifying green theology, promoting sustainable practices, and then building power for political and economic change. You know, you almost, I thought you almost said in a kind of diminutive way, all we do is we're just kind of information sharers. Ah, What you talked about was what I keep saying is what's missing. Like there's a lot of scientists out there. There's a lot of professors. There's a lot of politicians, journalists, and they're getting out there and saying, here's what you have to do. Here's the problem. Here's like, and there's always some talk about it's a blanket around the earth and it's trapping heat. Okay. Not bad to share that information, but if someone, if you wanted someone to change your behavior, if I want to change my behavior, I want role models. I want to talk to someone who's done it before. I want to, I want support. I want understanding. I want someone to listen to me. And so what you called sharing information, I heard a lot of what I call leadership. And what I see is desperately lacking. I mean, I, I don't blame a scientist. You know, they're trained to research and journalists are trained to, here's, you know, here's this thing that will get you to click. And I can't fault them for doing what they're great at. They have a role, but we lack leadership and we lack stories. We lack someone sharing when someone doesn't, it works. Let's get that word out there so people can follow. Yeah, I, I, I think the uh, question that really uh, spurned us into action was people kept asking, is the black church concerned about the environment? You know, well, why is the black church doing this? Or why aren't you guys at this march and this rally? And we have to meet people where, where they are. And the reality is, is not that, that we are, are unconcerned or disconnected, is that we're speaking different languages. And sometimes we, we're not speaking to one another. You know, while you may be very active, you know, doing something one way, whether that's, you know, in terms of getting legislation changed or doing this or that. For us, taking care of the planet is a part, it's in our DNA. It's cultural. There are things that, that, that we've always done. You know, as people from the South, as an agricultural people, there's some things in our history that connect with understanding the need to put seed in ground. There are some reasons that we are experiencing trauma as a people because we have been separated from the uh, land. So some, some, sometimes you're right. It's not all about kind of the larger picture of the science of what's happening. Sometimes it's about the interpersonal reality of just learning how to live well and live in community. Someone said you have to think globally, but work lo- locally. And it is in the very local work. It's the general teachings of how to be in community with one another and about how to be in community 
with the planet itself. And so for us, it is a revisit. It is a renewal. It's going back to some of the older things that are already part of our culture and a part of our language. In the African-American church, we do not consider ourselves most often environmentalists. Because for us, that's a picture of somebody out in the Arctic, right? Or somebody, you know, hanging out with trees. For us, we consider ourselves revivalists. We believe that anything that's old, decayed, destroyed can be made brand new again. And in Black church community, we have revival probably four times a year because we believe, right, that the world can be revived. We believe that individuals can be revived. The scripture says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then they will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now, if that does not equate with what environmentalists are doing, I don't know what else does. But people have different language and different ways of of talking about a thing. And so for us, it's, it's focusing not on what we don't have, not outside. It's really on focusing on what, what we do have, the lessons that we have, the history that we have. I always say Black folk don't own a lot of skyscrapers downtown, but we own a lot of faith buildings. And our grandmothers have sold chicken dinner, sweet potato pies. In the 20s and 30s, they did more with less than what we do with everything that we have. And they purchased those buildings. They started schools. And they had what we call note-burning services. So when the building was paid off, they prided themselves in paying off these church buildings. And they had note-burning services. They would burn the note to mean that's over. We don't have to worry about that anymore. It's ours. So a lot of times, even in our communities, we find ourselves crying with a loaf of bread under our arms because all of these buildings need to be energy retrofit. And we need to figure out how to put our people to work doing that and learning about that. So it's really taking account of what we have. It's really about taking responsibility for one another and taking responsibility for the planet. Now, you said a lot of things there. It's true. And once you said sweet potato pie, I forgot about all the rest and my stomach just started rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> you also talked about meeting people where they were. And that, that resonated with me probably more than anything because right now there's all these headlines. I mean, I'm not sure exactly when this will, when people are here, but the IPCC just put out this report. It's yeah. like, we're on like, it's like code red. Yeah. And all right. I think a lot of people see the headlines. They read the headline, the main point about the IPCC report, but the actual behavior that causes the, the pollution that causes the, the carbon dioxide is when we decide is when we're at home and we're doing, you know, we decide to uh, get the SUV instead of the bike. Or we decide to uh, live so far away from the people that we love that we have to fly around all the time. And that's where we are. And we have this amazing ability to forget. Like we see the headline, oh, so outraged. All those other people should be doing something. And then, (laughs) oh, but I want to go uh, buy that extra thing that I don't really need. And then once we divorce our behavior from the results of our behavior, we can then say, I don't have someone else's responsibility. And, And I can't, how can I lead someone else? They don't even think about leading someone else because they, they themselves aren't doing anything. And I hear, if, do I read you right that you're doing the opposite? You're like, what are you doing today? What are you doing right now? How does that affect things? Correct. Is that right? Correct. Very much so. In fact, you know, oftentimes, you know, this year we've been doing a Green the Church Summit every year 
for the last five years, of course, with the exception of, of 2020. And for this year's summit, I thought about it and I said, you know, out of all of the courses that we have, out of all the offerings that we have, and we are, we consider ourselves an environmental organization, but we've never had a class or a course on climate change itself, right? We've, we have, we have up until to this point, and we are going to do it this year because I do think science is important. But up until this point, we have not had a class to talk about climate change itself and the science. Our coming together has been a celebration of what congregations are doing. Of course, you, you know, whether that in, in our communities, a lot of times, you know, that has to do with our own felt need, whether that's, you know, an environmental justice concern, uh, whether that's learning how to feed, make sure that these communities are fed in the midst of COVID, right? That, that we know how to grow and produce food and that we have food systems. My conversations have been about our buildings. One thing that, you know, the one, the largest asset that we have in our community are our faith buildings. And so we've come together to talk about those. We've come together to talk about how, how our faith and how Bible and how the word lines up with what it means to be revivalist, right? Uh, what it means to be in relationship to the land. We've, we've taken people on tours so that they can see some of these things, so they can see a church with solar panels, so they can see a church growing food, so they can, you know, stand with a church that's in the midst of environmental uh, justice battle. We are about, uh, about showcasing the fact that the work right, is being done, that people are working together and learning from one another in order to do good, in order to do what's necessary to hold back the plague, right, and and to understand that we have to be resilient so that we are becoming centers of resilience. So when the storm comes, I'm in California, when the fire comes through, right, or when the earth rolls, that we're able to respond. So that's kind of, again, how we come into the space and the science becomes a matter of fact and we do need to learn what and why, but, you know, but rarely have we come, you know, with a full assault or on some, some of those larger pieces. We have yet to, to kind of line up and see where we stand with things like the Paris agreement and some of these other pieces, because we're trying to get uh, down to the grassroots I'm curious what's the, what's been the reception of I guess of of are you going fast or are you going not nearly as fast as you'd like and what's the reception of of others yeah. that you'd like to reach are they like oh finally you're here or are they like oh that's not our problem <laughs> well I'll tell you it's very earnestly so last year during during 2020 was an, an awesome time for us because usually our year consisted of being on the ground in a different city for six months working on a Green the Church Summit for that particular city uh, so that we learn where the congregations are, where the nonprofits are that are all working together. But last year, we had an opportunity to step back and to talk about what our quote-unquote growth looks like. What does it mean to be a member of Green the Church? And what does it mean if we're not just talking to congregational leaders what does it mean for individuals within our congregations to connect with Green the Church? And when they do do that, what is their course of learning, 
What do they learn? How does being a part of Green the Church help their individual lives? So we've just this year began to lay out some of those things and some of those measures. I would say that we are growing at a healthy pace, one that we are are able to not only bring people in, but we're able to connect with individuals as they come in. Our piece right now uh, that we have is something that we call the Ambassadors Institute, where individuals from faith communities, but also individuals from other green nonprofits who want to work with faith with, with Black faith communities, we can learn together. The Black church can learn about the environmental space and the environmentalists can learn about the Black church so that we may more readily work together in these cities, towns, and regions. And so that's been our training piece. And we probably bought in maybe about 20 this year that we are able to walk with. Uh, they're able to come in on weather, weather webinars. We're also able to serve them outside of that so that they can more readily do, do the work. Do you have any stories of maybe an individual who at first was skeptical or didn't know and then started I don't know, dabbling and started learning and then flipped over and was like, oh, we should do more of this. You know, any success stories like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, so there are so many, many pastors. I have a pastor, uh, Gary Russell in Oklahoma City. He used to be my youth pastor at a church that we started in Colorado. And again, you know, this was not on his radar as a young theologian. There's nothing that they talk about in seminary, but by him you know, remain remaining close and listening and being present uh, when he was assigned to his new congregation in Oklahoma, right? When he began to talk about growing food and having production, his congregation was very excited about it because he's in Oklahoma and they grow food in Oklahoma. And so they came down to, to the church and the church, because again, they're in Oklahoma, sits on about three acres and there's just land spread out wide. And so they began to put their hands in the soil and those seniors and those young people began to come on week weekends. And uh, this is the good part of the story. One day I called him, you know, just kind of talking. He said, hey, Red, you wouldn't believe it, but I've got, uh, but we just harvested and I'm driving and I've got pumpkins and stuff in my truck that I'm taking to market. <laughs> Uh, so the, that, you, you know, that's a pretty wild story in terms of from where he was uh, to where he was gone and the impact that he was able to make in the place where, where he serves and the con- conversations that they've been able to have around health, healthy eating and knowing what's going in their bodies and how they're able to explain that to the younger generation and to do it not just at home, as some do, but to do it in their place of worship. That makes me think of uh, starting to get an answer for a lot of times people say to me, Josh, you don't know what it's like to be in an like, inner city and not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. And you want people to care about the earth 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Yeah. That's not a concern of theirs. So that's, that's just outside of their scope. Yeah. And now, so they don't know my background, but be that as it may, that what you're saying, you're talking about responsibility. You're talking about, do people not have, do people who are in the inner city not have a vision past their next meal? Or are there people like that? And if so, what what do we do about that? Say more about, about that when you say they don't have a vision past their next meal. What people say to me is, Josh, if you can't, if you don't know where you're going to eat your next meal, or you don't know where you're going to sleep tonight, 
you can't think about the next thing and you got to worry about these things. And it's nice for you to think about these things, Josh, but you got to understand that for a lot of people, it's like, you might as well be talking about, you know, yeah, I don't know, something <laughs> yeah, yeah, off yeah. and, you know. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I talk to people and because, you know, we tag things and we, you know, so sometimes it's like deer in a headlight. Like they're like, what, what are you talking about? However, I found, you know, one thing that attracted me to, to this space is that, you know, my, my dad's generation was a part of this whole civil rights movement. And I knew and I learned that the civil rights movement was not one thing. Um, it was not one group. It was Martin Luther King, yes, and SCLC, but it was also uh, SNCC, the students, you know, on buses. It was also, it's also the Black Panther Party, right, out here in Oakland. It was different things, all kind of fighting for this large umbrella piece. And I've often wondered, what would be the large umbrella issue of our day? And for me, when I read Van Jones' book, The Green Job Economy, I felt like one of my peers had had articulated what would be the large umbrella issue of our day. So for me, when you say, you know, can people not think past their next meal? Maybe. But for me, even your next meal is is a question of the environment, right? Right, right. Like your next meal. Okay, let's talk about your next meal. Let's talk about the content of it. Let's talk about is it going to make you sick or is it going to bring you healing? Let's talk about your next meal and let's talk about what we have in the community that can help your next meal be a meal that's going to bless you and not curse you. So again, for me, it's always about meeting people where they are. So when I say I'm green the church and it's an environmental thing, their minds might go, you know, out to, you know, out to ships in Greenpeace. That's okay. But after a good conversation about what their set need is in their community, right? Like there's a church in St. Louis. And I was talking about green the church, the environment. They were like, oh, I don't, we don't have time for that. But once we got into talking some more, we learned that it was late October and they didn't have a working furnace and they were on their way to, to winter in St. Louis and they were expecting to have church with no heat. That's their issue, right? <laughs> like, so no, this isn't about uh, what's going on um, in Antarctica and that's important, but this is about your heating system, you see. And so that's where I find myself in the conversation and dialogue and always praying that that people give you enough time because sometimes we tag people you know like, like like you said if people don't know your background they make assumptions and they continue to move on down the road but if we take time to engage one another if we take time to listen to one another and to be heard I think we can get to what is important for the moment. Do you know what happened with the boiler in the church? Oh, yeah. We ended, we ended up giving them $5,000 uh, of seed funding, and they were mm-hmm. able to, you know, raise additional funds to kind of get things going. And then, of course, we ran into COVID, which actually gave them a break because then nobody was in church for, mm-hmm. for a while. So, yeah. So I'm hearing, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of solutions of community, drawing in history. You know, when I asked about success stories, I was thinking you're going to talk to talk about a, someone in a, in a congregation, but you were, you talked about other rat reverends and, and pastors. So you have 
am I reading right that you have an existing organ, not organization, but um, community of communities, maybe even community of communities of, of communities yeah. that you're tapping into? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so our, you know, niche audience at Green the Church is actually senior pastors of congregations. Those are the ones who, who we uh, spend a lot of time focusing on. That's our primary customer. Our primary person that we serve is the pastor who's trying to, you know, take care of these needs of leading a congregation in this day and age and understanding what types of, uh, of developing green teams within their congregation to help them do a full kind of 360 environmental sustainability account of their church. We really want to change the culture of congregations so that they have a a kind of a green North Star, that their congregation really attempts to be balanced and to do things uh, that are part or would be a part of any kind of environmental or sustainability track. So we we want to make sure, like we, we work with U.S. Green Building Council that ensures that, you know, that, that, that workplaces can be as green as possible, how they're put together. We want to make sure that our churches can be that way too. So we start with the pastors in order to then work with the trustees and deacons and Christian educators in order to make sure that the church itself, as it offers ministry, that it is uh, very, um, very planet friendly. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act, and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I'm hearing you, I like when you're talking about we're changing culture. That's something that I talk about a lot, and and I think a lot of environmentalists could learn a lot from you. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, I mean, facts and information are important, very important, but they don't, necessarily change culture. It may be essential. It may be an important non, like without it, we can't get it. We don't know what we're doing. We need direction. But that alone doesn't, that's a frustration for me. And one of the things that brought me to you and, and to, to Scott in the first place and to, I mean, I've, I've had several very uh, religious leaders on the show. And one of the themes I come back to is that from a emotional standpoint, I don't connect as much with environmentalists because it feels like it's a burden. It's like a lot of work. And I, I like work because I, I like the, the you know, satisfaction of a job well done. Sure. But the joy, the, yeah. the humility, the, the glory, the duty, the honor. I'm not sure if all these resonate with you, but and fun and community and freedom. Like these are the things that that's what it's about for me. And it wasn't like that before I started acting. When I was telling myself to, oh, someone's got, you know, fusion, that's the answer. More efficiency, that's the answer. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, only governments and corporations can act on that on the scale necessary for that. Sure. But then once I started acting, it was like, wait a minute, the food tastes better. 
the, it, I'm spending more time with my family. I'm saving money. I have more free time. I like this life better. That was a mistake to live the way that I was living before. I just bought into something that I hadn't really questioned. Yeah. And I'm reading from you. You're in this something like a decade and I'm not hearing like frustration. Mm. You sound like you're having fun. I don't know if it's fun. Uh, <laughs> it sounds rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. I mean, I consider it ministry. I think that it's our job to plant seeds. You know, when you put, put the seed in the ground, it's pretty, you know, if all if, if everything else is, is equal, it, it's kind of on automatic. Only God, only what is divine can give increase. And so, yeah, we definitely have fun uh, in everything that we do. It's not it's not one of my values, but maybe it should, should it be. I, I think I need to find a way to put it in there. I think, you know, ultimately, it's about living. Regardless of everything that else has happened, I believe everybody should live their, their best life, a life that gives them more joy. Ultimately, and I've, and I've said this before, like I know we're in an emergency situation. I get that. And I know it would be good to have the African-American church up and moving and formulating and already doing this and that. But the reality is we, you know, we're still at the process of getting people awake and moving. And I think that the grace of what is divine is always sufficient. So you always do what you can and then get some sleep and eat some good food (laughs) and enjoy, you know, company. Because ultimately, I believe that the planet will survive. Humanity may have a tough time. But I often say that even if my brother, the bee, survives, then all will be well, you know, right? right. So that we live and do our best and live our best life and continue to love. But, you know, but, but don't stress about, about what is, what will be inevitable, right? Uh, but that you continue to do your part and do your best and live and love and laugh. I think this is vitally important. Yeah. I think everyone just went, yeah. <laughs> uh, speak of living. So last time we spoke, it was about a week ago. And I don't know if you're going to mind sharing, but you, you, you told me that you and your wife were going on a 28-day, if I remember right. Uh-huh. This is totally independent of me. Before you and I spoke, yeah, yeah. you were 28 days of, of maybe vegetarian or eating very healthy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then my regular listeners know I love talking about doof. And I think I talked about Doof <laughs> and you were like, oh, that's that. I think it really resonated with you. And now I'm curious <laughs> if we're a quarter of the way through your challenge, yeah. did it make much of it have an enduring Listen, effect? it has helped me all week. I think that is so amazing. Yeah, my wife and I decided to go on a 20-day vegan fast. And uh, so it's been, it's been a good journey. And this Doof thing has been really good. My kids are all saying it. Because, you know, they may be making some choices. I'm like, nah, that's doof. I'm not eating doof today. <laughs> so that, This is so heartwarming for me to hear. <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. <laughs> and even within my own psyche, right? Like, uh, you know, I might see stuff. I, you know, I went to the uh, market, right? Getting some fruits and vegetables. Then I walked through some, some of the other aisles that, you know, that used to be a problem for me to walk through. But I was like, doof. Doof. <laughs> like, that's not it. <laughs> it brings clarity, right? It's suddenly yeah. everything is like, eat all the food you want. It's really tough yeah. to eat too much spinach. Right. <laughs> and then doof, you know, 
whether you eat it or not, that's your choice, but know what you're doing. You know, yeah. suddenly it's like, oh, if I eat a bag of chips, that's not food. That's not food. What am I doing and why? What's the experience? Yeah. So, yeah, no, 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 it's been helpful. And I believe it'll help me through these other three or I don't know, five weeks I've got left. Cool. I got this. Um, someday, someone that I've never met before who's never heard of me okay. is going to use the word doof. Right. And I'm going to be like, that, you know, you know, I'm going to feel so good inside. And it's maybe it'll happen. be some time when I'm walking around Harlem and yeah, someone right. will be like, yeah, I came from Green the Church. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. So also sticking with the personal, when you think about the environment, what motivates you? What, not, not just the future goal of what you want to achieve, but what in the past of, you know, what, what image of, what does the environment mean to you? You know, I am, um, in a word, it means everything. So for me, I'm clergy. So my life has been spent learning and ruminating about spirituality, you know, dealing with those questions, the life after death, you know, where are we from? Is there a God? So this thing of the environment for me is so all-encompassing because although, of course, the universe is vast, right? And uh, there, there are perhaps, right, you know, other blue planets, right, with, um, with atmosphere and stuff like us. But when, uh, when the astronauts went out, uh, even old Jeff Bezos went out a couple of weeks ago and looked back, you're able to see it all, right? You're able to see the planets. You're able to see both the heavens and the earth. It's all here. This may sound strange, but I was uh, I was at Virginia Union uh, University and there was a scientist talking and she talked about the fact that all of the water that was created that's on the planet is still on the planet, that it doesn't escape <laughs> the atmosphere, that it may change, right? It may change its molecular structure, but it's still here. That blew my mind. Because as a person of spirit and one who believes in, in, you know, in the ethos and where do we go, I believe ultimately we're like that water. And I believe that we're all still here. <laughs> Which, again, so I'm going off into this kind of deep philosophical and theological piece. I know you asked me about the environment and what does it mean, but that's what it means. It, it really means everything. My dad's ministry, he always used the word holistic that we're all so very connected, more so than we, than we experience. We experience life, you know, so siloed off. But there's a lot more connectability than, than we talk about. So for me, this is the work. So even though, even though I'm talking about solar panels and I'm talking about building efficiency and water, I'm just still, I'm just still talking about the fact that... Uh, we're all one. That's that's what I'm talking about. That we were here in the beginning. We'll be here at the end. That we have to learn to love one another and care for one another. Love the planet. That's that's what it means. So if I hear you right, I hear a lot there. And so combining what you said, you said before, that the environment wasn't always on your radar, but spirituality and thinking these deep thoughts 
has always been part of I, yeah. since you're raised that way. And that's, it feels like it feel, it's like a natural interest of yours. Yeah. And then, then when the environment came on your radar, it sounds like that fit in. That was like a, a real life manifestation of some abstract, I don't know if it's abstract, spiritual, yeah. um, but less tangible, not that something you could touch. And now yes. suddenly here's this thing you could touch. Yes. And so you may be talking about solar panels on a church, which I've not yet seen. And I look forward now to seeing uh, solar panels on a church. And I'm sure you've seen <laughs> oh. plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't. <laughs> uh, so you're helping put panels on a church and inside your heart, you're, this is connection. This is addressing is their God is it's yeah. addressing. Yeah. Connecting. Yeah. It's, it's building community. You can put, you know, putting solar panels on a church and the camaraderie, the ne- the connectability, even the understanding of, you know, being, being connected to your power source and understanding that's good. But what happens among human beings when they're working in concert together and a light goes on, then I'm not alone. I was a youth pastor for a long time. So I remember some Friday nights, you know, when a young person in San Francisco that we didn't know and started coming around, finally something clicked and a light came on, you know, that's, that's the stuff. And that can happen if you're doing solar or if you're with some senior women and they're teaching you how to quilt. For me, that's environmentalism, right? And they're telling you those stories of that quilting and the lights come on and people begin to feel at home on the planet, which is not always everybody's reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of separation. Yeah. I mean, we might be standing on the planet, but we're spiritually separated from it. Yeah. So So based on these feelings of connection and spirituality and oneness and all of what you talked about, I invite you at your option to think of something you can do that you're not already doing to act on those feelings specifically. So I'm not saying to fix the world's problems, because I think you get that that will come, that you do with your own hands. It's going to be very tempting to say, oh, I'll get another group of people to do something. But this is for you to do with your own hands uh, that has some measurable effects. It doesn't have to be big or small. It can be. And it doesn't have to be for a long time, although it can be. And uh, if you go for it, then to share how it went in another episode. Okay. Hmm. And if you're game for it, then we'll go back and forth. Usually people have, uh, you have the look in your eye of, of many people, which is, uh, let's see, here's what I'm already doing. And you generally have to review all the things you're doing because everyone's, you know, I'm doing what I can and I feel like the rest is too much. Most people have some sort of balance there. And then there's this thing that clicks when they're like, oh, oh it's, I'm, it's not trying to fix the world. It's acting on your values. Well, I know what I'm not doing. It is something that, that, that I started and then I've not, not been doing as purposefully. And that's, and that's composting in my own. Uh-huh. Right? Talk about connection to the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's something I think I may have started a year and a half ago and I had some containers and then somebody started using my containers for other stuff or it was sitting around and I kind of lost beat of it. So that's something I need to start again and start afresh. This is what, yeah, it's, it's amazing how often people reach something and they're like, oh, that, yeah, I've been meaning to do that. This is my chance to do that. Right. I mean, I have the same thing. People do, I have right. people do this back to me. Right. 
Okay. How long do you think it would take if you started composting that if I asked how it went, that you had like a meaningful set of experiences that you could say, you know, here's how it went? How, how long? Oh, maybe six weeks, two months, maybe. Something. Would you be game to come back and, and share in six weeks or two months how it went? Sure. Okay, cool. Sure. And uh, the listeners can't see the smile on your face, which is like, <laughs> it's broadening. <laughs> Why the smile? Is it? Oh, I, I, I don't know. That, that's, that's just how I, how I felt. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I sometimes ask people this. I walked you through, you know, thinking of, of what the environment means to you and to act on that. Are you doing this for me? You, you know, I think it would feel good to uh, accomplish that. I, I think it would feel good. I, I think it would feel good to accomplish what I set out to uh, do and for my own reasons for doing it, of course. But yeah. Cool. I'll be interested to hear. And yeah, Oakland. So I don't know if you guys, I'm here in the city, in New York City. There's a farmer's market near me where they collect big trash cans and I bring, I, I put it in my freezer and then, then when that fill, when the bag in the freezer fills up, then I take it to that, to there. So it's like pretty easy for me. Although once it's carted away, I, I don't have, you know, it goes away. Yeah. I don't have a garden right. to a put it in. I mean, in. I'll be curious what it's like out there. Oh, well, I'm in Oakland and work real close with a company called We Recology. And I believe they are the organization that uh, started recycling and stuff like that. Um, they started here in the Bay Area and it spread around. But we have not only recycling bins, we have composting bins. I've got a composting bin at my home. So there's what is a, it empty then? If you're it well outside of outside of some weed pulling and cutting down some trees and stuff like that, most of the time it's empty. Correct. Oh well. <laughs> Uh, a more brash me would say, you're welcome. <laughs> was that, was that, uh, what's the word, tactful enough? <laughs> what are you doing? Not tactful, subtle, I don't know. Hey, listen, it's fair. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the listeners didn't hear us last week. We were, we were going on, we were really talking a lot last week. I mean, I didn't really ask about Green the Church last week. It was... Uh, yeah, it's more about personal or personal experiences. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, let's wrap up because I think we're at close to an hour here. And uh, but is there anything I didn't think to? And we'll pick up here next time. But is there anything I didn't think to ask that's worth bringing up, or anything to say to the listeners? Well, I think it wouldn't be wouldn't, wouldn't be doing, doing my job if I didn't announce that Green the Church has its annual Green the Church Summit, and it's going to be a digital experience October tenth through the thirteenth. And would love, and it's uh, and it's open to all uh, to come as we uh, continue to attempt to green the church. And I'll put the link to greenthechurch.org. That'd be great. And well, Ambrose Carroll, thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a joy. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.